You're listening to Raw. This is part two of our interview with Brian G. It's me, Chrissy Richards, and Tom Latcham. If you've missed part one, please do go back and start from the beginning. Um, so, Brian, you've been DJing for the best part of four decades. Um, tell us what it was about the 90s rave scene. <laughs> Sorry, it's we, just like he just realised how old he is. Well? <laughs> what we're doing is upsetting Brian. But when you say decades as well, it's like, God, huh? sit down raves. <laughs> I can't go to Corfu. Now you're telling me I've been around for decades. <laughs> <laughs> What's I next? That, I thought this was going to be a fun interview. <laughs> We're getting to that. We'll get there eventually. Don't worry, Brian. Oh, God. So, yeah, what was it about the 90s rave scene for you that remains so memorable and special? Because this is a 90s the rave 90s podcast. The rave scene, um, the 90s to the late 80s, yeah? Because for me, you know, that's where it started from. The rave for me, the, the whole rave scene started in the late 80s, 88, 89. When rave music came along and all that, I was living in Brixton and I was running a radio station called Passion Radio. It's still running now, but it's changed its name to Lightning. But it's like really popular station in South London. And um, you had some big DJs came from there, like um, Chris Goldfinger is on Radio 1 now, Commander B, lots of big DJs and all that. And the, the station was actually in my bedroom, right? <laughs> it was in my bedroom for like four years. And, you know, I had to live in this, my flat, and every two hours... DJs in and out of my flat, DJs in and out of my flat because it was 24 hours. You get what I'm saying? When did you go to sleep? It was terrible. See, I, 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 <laughs> Four years of no sleep. And, and it was worse because like when they used to raid the station and all that, like, you know, it was my job. They never ever raid the studio, but they would take the, um, the, the aerial yeah, off and, the site. And the rig, yeah. The rig and all that. And so, you know, the boss would always call me and say, you know, because it could be either a, a, a rival station or it could be the DTI. So it'd be Brian. So I had to run up all God times and night times again. So I had to run down to Kennington and see if it was the police or DTI, if it was just some rival one. And then we had to go and get a new rig. And so it was my full-time job. And like, you know, I used to have girlfriends and they used to be like, why are people coming into your house every two hours? Like, you know what I'm saying? Because you know, I used to try and hide it. Like, you know what I'm saying? But you could, it's hard to hide. You get what I'm saying? Every, I mean, it's kind of noisy as well, yeah, right? Two, four in the morning, and then they, you know, they, they leave their chips, they leave their cans of cokes, they leave. The DJs are messy people, you get what I'm saying? And it's a pirate station, so I did it. But that's how much I love the music. I just like giving up my room for it, you get what I'm saying? So, mom, my boy Jumping Jack Frost, he was on the station as well, and he was playing. We both kind of, because when we met, I met Frosty in a pub. And he was trying to sell me some dodgy watches. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you know what I mean? I was like, boy, I don't trust that him. Sounds because, like Mr. Frost. <laughs> yeah, I said, I said, I don't trust him because I remember him turning up at my door because I was a naughty boy like when, at that time and I was selling weed, right? I know. Right. So what? Was, Heaven forbid. We were from country. You get what I'm saying? So we was just like easy target because them days there, it was just like dog eat dog. And for a country boy coming into Brixton, selling weed on an estate, if you haven't got no backup or whatever, you, you, you're open, you know what I mean? You're ready to be taken out. You get what I'm saying? One day, this guy turns up at my door with his mate and he's, you know what I mean? He's got a big, long, dirty scar in his face. You get what I'm saying? It's coming like, it was just cut about an hour ago. You get what I'm saying? It seemed like, it seemed like he hadn't even been to hospital yet. It was that raw. You get what I'm saying? And so I said, nah, 
we, we you know, I didn't want to sell him and all that. And that was Nigel. <laughs> 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 that was Frost. You get saying? So when I saw him in a pub, I was even more worried. You get what I'm saying? And he approached me and he tried to sell me this watch and all that. So I was like, oh, this is that guy with those bad boys that I've always kind of tried to stay away from and stuff. And funny enough, we got on, we started to talk about, I was playing some funk and all that stuff. And I was like, why don't you come and play on the radio? He's like, nah, I ain't got time for that stuff. I said, come, come, come on the radio. And he goes, yeah, serious. So we, we, um, we kind of made a friendship up right there. You get what I'm saying? From being a bit weary of him music kind of just broke down the whole thing you get him saying our love for music next minute i'm inviting him on my station he didn't have a name so i said what's your name and he goes oh they call me hit and run (laughs) 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 hit and run so you kind of work that one out yourself you get him saying (laughs) you know so that's so nigel you get him saying he was because nigel was a proper street boy right you know you can see it's still road man you get him saying and you know and so we brought him on the station and he was just raw you get him saying and then he came on the station so we were on the station at the time playing funk and all this stuff you get him saying and like you know we had a big reputation in Brixton every passion radio everybody listened to it it was the station it was owned by these reggae guys and they had a big influence in the area and stuff like that and it was like they had a they had a reggae label as well called BP Records and all these big reggae artists used to come from Jamaica and they would come on the radio station to do interviews with the drive time DJ, which was like Commander B or Derek Irie, these reggae DJs and stuff. Cause, um, and so I was there and I used to see all these like Leroy Smart and all these big legendary coming into my yard, you get what I'm saying? So I kind of got like to know a lot of these artists and stuff and we had a big fan base and my show was like a rare groove show I used to play at 12 in the night and I used to play all soft tunes and people used to like I used to like kind of come up with a Barry White kind of shagging guy. tunes yeah like <laughs> lover's time baby. you must be responsible for quite a lot of <laughs> yeah. children being born yeah. in the South yeah, London yeah, area yeah. that's the kind of thing yeah, yeah. this is the, the the cool down zone and so so I had a big follower following loving me for that and Nigel was more on the James Brown Lynn Collins you know that kind of more groovier heavier funk and all that but it was you know so we he was playing that on the station and we used to hang out and one night we went to um we used to go to all these warehouse parties because that time you had like soul to soul was big at the time and, and um Norman Jay and um we went to this party up in Clink Street London Bridge and it was like they said, oh, it's Acid House and all that. Well, what's, what's Acid House? But we just wanted to just find out, see if there's any girls in there. Because we were just young and, you know, two guys out. We just wanted to see what's going down and all that. So we went in there and the music was like mad acid music. I'm like, who the fuck's this? And there's some guy called Evil Eddie Richards. Wow, um, that's a name I've not heard for a while. Yeah, Evil Eddie Richards and um, some shock sound system, Ash- Ashley Beadle and all these guys playing in there. You know what I mean? But the music was mad, just like washing machine and shit like that. Mad. And we were like, what the fuck? You get what I'm saying? And there's strobe lights going off and all that, like almost blinding. And people being nice to us. Because you remember, we, we're, we're coming from reggae and, you know, we're going to blues parties and, you know, like up into the blues parties where you're in the dance and then five minutes later it gets rushed by like, bad boys and everybody gets robbed or if you spill a drink over somebody's accidentally you get knifed up or if you accidentally your eye accidentally look at his girl 
what are you looking at my girl for? Whatever you get saying. So these are these tense. I mean, maybe I'm painting a real dark picture, but it was very edgy. Some of the parties and where we, but were, very much the opposite of the burgeoning acid house rave scene. People are giving water to me and hugging me. All right, mate, and. Do you know what I mean? And smiling. Oh, Did you realise everyone so, was on drugs? Not at the time. That's the thing about it. We were weary of all that kind of stuff because we were like, hold on a sec, people don't do that. You get what I'm saying? And everybody was coming up to us and, all right, mate, and I see everybody hugging and looking happy. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? I'm like, what the fuck? And it rubbed off on us. All of a sudden, we were feeling happy. You know what I mean? And like... Smiling and people giving me water. I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, it's all right, it's all right. It's all right. I, you know, I don't know what's in it and stuff. You get what I'm saying? The music and the whole atmosphere and everything just kind of made me want more. And so, like, we continued to go back again next week. We went to the parties again. And, and then we slowly kind of started to look for the music. So I went to Black Market. And the first, first house music I bought was this tune called Wax the Van by Lola. See the van, wax the van, see the wax the van. And then I start to buy more and more and more. And then I start to play them on my radio show. And then the people on the radio store start to get angry because they, you know, there was no more Teddy Pendergrass or (laughs) nothing like that. It's just like (laughs) Jesus loves acid. And you know what I mean? All these different, which is a complete change. You get what I'm saying? And me and Nigel took a lot of stick in in Brixton. Like people be like, you guys, because that time Acid House was starting to get a bad name. Like, you know, you know that it was, it had a real negative image in the press at the time. You get what I'm saying? And we were from, we were black guys from Brixton. And so people in Brixton couldn't understand what the fuck we were on. We was like, because they, they looked at it as like, the term would be, that's some white man druggy music. What are you, you know what I'm saying? That's because that's how they saw it in the, in the media. Like, you know, people off their face and stuff. So people in Brixton couldn't relate to it. And they were like, what's going on with you guys? How come you're into this mad, crazy cult? Are you obsessed? And they thought we had devil in us and serious <laughs> stuff. And yeah, they, they really thought that we was like, some serious shit was going on with us. You get what I'm saying? And people thought we were mad and, and stuff. And we continued to just continue playing the music. And I um, loved it. <laughs> show them your style, yeah. I'm going at this, yeah. Fashion. 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 Another thing I'd like to ask you about is in your biography, you hint at the fact that you spent some time, a couple of years, I think, in prison. Yeah, uh, yeah that's right. It, when, yeah, I is think that in, in there? It is in there. <laughs> you should probably check it if you don't want it to be. Uh, but can I ask you, uh, well, two things. A, what was, it, what, was, what was it for? What was it like? And did it, did it save you in a way and push yeah, you down a route of, yeah, of, of, of music? It that, definitely did. Because when I first came to Lam, um, left Gloucester and I come to London and... Uh, jack shit going on for me you get what I'm saying I just like squatting and no job or nothing like that and ending up ending up with the wrong crowd that's what happens isn't it you get what I'm saying you just end up with the wrong bad apples you get what I'm saying and so we just went out and we used to just do things like um, do burglaries and stuff like you know what I mean I remember should I say this? Breaking into Brookstone Market a few times, you get what I'm saying? Right, you know what I'm saying? Nicking, snicking, um, snakeskin handbags and stuff like that, selling them down the road and all that, snakeskin handbags and shoes and there's anything we could get our hands on. Yeah. And, then, um, and then eventually it turned to robbery and um, I was in Brookstone with my boy 
and we was outside this pub called, but it was called the Prince of Wales back then. It's called POW now, and um, yeah, was, you know, not not proud of what I did back then. You get what I'm saying? But um, yeah, I was doing robberies and stuff like that, and um, there was this guy, and we followed him from work, and what ended up going towards Brixton though, and my my friend Lloyd. He pulled out his knife and um, um, like held the guy up and put the knife around his neck, and um, yeah, we basically took his wallet and took um, took money off him and stuff, and ran off and ran off and then um, I got caught, Lloyd got away and I got caught. You get what I'm saying? And so um, I wasn't gonna grass or nothing like that. You get what I'm saying? But because the guy had a cut on his neck and all that, you get what I'm saying? So that you know, when it went to court and the jury heard that and everything, it just looked it was bad. It was a little bad. You get what I'm saying? Mm. So I just took the rap for it. To, when you were told, how long did you get? I got two years. Okay. And when they when the uh, the judge, well, when it when it was came back, returned guilty, and they said you were going to go to prison for two years, how did you react? How did you feel? Well, if your son had been born the day before you, you kind of realise it's not the thing you want to be doing, going to jail the day after... The that day. wasn't in your bio. Yeah, so <laughs> that day after Jordan was God. born, I went to jail. Right. Wow. Yeah. And, and that, that must have felt feel? terrifying. Well, uh, yeah, um, you know, because it, it made me miss, like, me and Jordan didn't, um, you know, grow up together. You get what I'm saying? Oh, you know, it really, like, I missed out on that sort of important part of growing up with your child and all that and just going to jail and the unknown and all that you get what I'm saying was a bit scared it was I cried I was, you know scared and all that and but I just did it you know what I was it did, like it wasn't as bad as looking back on it now it wasn't that bad but I, you know I did I went to Feltham um and I did some time in Feltham and then I went to Ashford and it all went quick and you know the positive thing about it was that um when I went to Ashford in Kent, I got banged up with a DJ, a guy called Gary M. He's still on, he's still DJ now and all that. And he was in my cell and all that. And so he was the one that kind of persuaded me to kind of like listen to um, funk and art. Because I was just strictly into reggae, 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 reggae and all that. And he was telling me about Robbie Vincent and Jeff Young and all these DJs that um playing jazz funk music and stuff like that. And uh, he, Tony Blackburn at the time, he used to play on Radio London, but he used to play funk and all that in the morning and stuff. Really good tunes. When I say Tony Blackburn now, people are like, really? Because <laughs> Tony Blackburn, but he was, there was a time where he got cool again. You remember what I'm saying? And Robbie Fritz and all these guys. So I was listening to them. And when I came out, I just said, yeah, this is what I want to do. I don't want to go back to jail again. I don't want to stop hanging out with the boys and that, that I got in trouble with an arm. I just went down the music route. So it, is it safe to say then that basically music saved you from a life yeah, of crime definitely. potentially? Music saved me. I'd say that to Frost as well, because even when I met Frost, you know, he was just like... Well, I've read his book. I mean, it's... He was a serious guy who's done yeah. serious things and he says the same thing. Yeah, and then the music kind of just mm-hmm. changed. And, and mm-hmm. there's so much of us, not just me and Frost, there's so much of us that I've talked to in our drum and bass jungle that we were all going nowhere. You get what I'm saying? We were just like, nothing was going on for us and the music kind of just definitely gave us, like Dave Angel. You know, Dave Angel is a proper rude boy, you get what I'm saying? And he was in and out of jail and everything and the music saved his life. I know that you didn't, uh, you sadly missed out on the first 
couple of years of of Jordan's life and growing up with him. But you're very very close now, aren't you? I mean, yeah, you're yeah. Very good I mean, um, you know, it, 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 me and me and his mum didn't really get on eye to eye, and it was stupid because we should have just I should have just been a bigger man. We had we had some arguments and stuff when Jordan was born, and. I let it linger on, linger on, linger on, and it lingered on so much. It got, it made because I because I didn't get on with her. I didn't go to see Jordan, which was stupidly. I should have just like you know ignored the beef I got with her and just said, "All right, just give me my son. Let me take him for the day or whatever." But I just completely just shut her off out of my life for about God for about ten years when Jordan was so when he was young. You know, he didn't know me at all. You get what I'm saying? And then when he was at school and all them things now, people be like... How did you feel about that? Um, not having any contact with your son for the, for the I mean, first every, 10 years? Every you? now and again, he would come round like, and spend an afternoon with me or whatever, but not much. And because I... You know what it is? I shouldn't say this now, but because of the way I felt about his mum at the time, I got you know, I love her now, you get what I'm saying? But because I still had that hatred pent up in me of, you get what I'm saying? I just made it blind my whole sort of what was right to do the right thing to do and just bury it because your son is the most important thing in life you get what I'm saying that you you know but I just didn't and I just let let that blur me and just that the anger for her get in the way of seeing my son I just kind of just Get on, got on with my life. I find it hard to think that you were so angry. You don't strike me as a man who's yeah, well, assault then, you like know, that. I don't want to go into the details, but there was a reason why I was angry. You get what I'm saying? And whether or not I was right or she was right or whatever, doesn't matter now. But there was a big reason why I, I was finding it hard to move on. And so um, Jordan, you know, Jordan didn't... And yeah, it was when he was at school now, growing up at school... I think kind of he got curious because hmm. all the kids at school was like, "Your dad's branchy." Fucking, are you putting your dad's branchy? You get what I'm saying? And like, like really, like, boy, do you know who your dad is? You get what I'm saying? And like, so because you know we were kind of like me and Frost were kind of big names and stuff and all that. So I think kind of like, you know. He just got a bit curious. You get him saying all the kids are saying he wanted to call dad. <laughs> your dad's a yeah, yeah. Your dad's a fucking man. You get him saying. So, it sounds he, like you've got though, like a top-notch relationship now. And- oh, beautiful relationship. You know what I mean? He, so he came round and then like um, he started to kind of like that time we were doing a club called Barroom, but we had a night called Movement. It went on for fifteen years, and uh, it was one of the best drum and bass nights ever in the world, and he kind of came around and he got involved and um, helped me out with it. I sort of had him on the door doing fins and then as soon as like the people and that were running movement with me, they left. He kind of like was experienced enough to take the place of running running movement. So he was practically running the night for me and everything. You At get what, what age? This was when I just, probably when he was just leaving school. Wow. And so he was well into it and he just we were just making up for last time and all that stuff. So... You know, and he was into DJing as well. well. How good is he as a DJ? Because I've I've been to an event that he's DJ. Yeah. He DJed at your twenty five year yeah, event, yeah, wasn't it? At Jordan V. v. At Jordan v. DJ, um, it, could he have made it as a professional DJ? I, I think so, but I'm glad. Um, I'm glad that he went down the journalism route. No, but that was always there. The journalism thing was there. You get what I'm saying? But it just kind of like kicked off more after. I think what happened as well was um. What really made it happen and opened the doors for Jordan, I think, was when the Paralympic thing was going on. 
Because Jordan is invalid. Before before all this, he went to Italy and um, he was in a basketball. I'll tell you, I absolutely love, I'm a massive like Paralympic fan and yeah. wheelchair basketball wheelchair is just, I love it. Absolutely yeah. love it. And he went to Italy and joined a team and he's, they kept him on. He was there for like two years or something like that. So that's how good he was. So he was always into that sort of athletic um doing his sports and stuff. And so when he come back over here now, the the Olympics was on, and Channel Four wanted to do like a para para what's it, what's it? Paralympics Paralympic version of it. Yeah. 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 And so um their their outlook was kind of like let's get presenters as well that are disabled yeah i think that's kind of opened up the door for jordan as well i came saying so he got involved in that paralympic channel for paralympics presenting like some of the um the events and then when the paralympic finished channel four just decided to just keep him on sports job right. and give him the sports job and now he's on, on talk sport as well and then talk sport because yeah. I, I got him on talk sport you got him on talk sport. i was the first person that got jordan on talk oh, sport because up, basically the reason was i felt that we talked I was on it for three years doing the overnight show. We talked endlessly about racism and 30% of Premier League players are black and and the station had I don't like one or two black presenters yeah, and yeah, I just yeah, thought yeah. it was not good enough. Wow. And so I Wicked. encouraged, Wicked. Uh, Wicked. I, I, I reached out and I got a cut of Jordan and another uh, black ex-pro uh, to be my co-presenters on a rolling basis. And Saturday nights used to be on, innit? I did, Saturday, Friday and Saturday nights. Yeah. But, but he's great. I love him to bits yeah. and you must be very proud of him. Yeah, very, very, very proud. <laughs> I'm DJ Lunacy, and you're listening to Raw, the 90s rave podcast. Yay! And on my fourth attempt, I got it right. So, Brian, you're probably best known for owning V, but you're also a renowned DJ as well. Uh, In terms of you as a DJ, how good do you rate yourself in the scene? Me? Yeah, I always back myself. And, um, you know, I've always backed myself, even when F4 was going on for me, you get what I'm saying? I would look around, and I'll be like, I can do that. How come I'm not getting this, this bringing or whatever. So, and those, you know what I mean? And for years and years, because that's, you know, I, I, I was like into the scene and DJing for years, but just on the outside. And I used to be friends with Frost, you get what I'm saying? And Frost would be in the inside, you get what I'm saying? And I'd be turning up at the parties with Frost and all that. And he'd be like, you know, big jumping Jack Frost with car cocks and this and that. And I'll be just there thinking, when is my time going to fucking come? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I can do this because me and Frost started at the same time, but Frost just got a, Frost got a good break because what happened is he got took on to um, an agency called Dynamics. They just, they were one of the first DJ agencies at the time and they took Nigel on and they had like your evil Eddies and your, your um, Mr. C and all your top boys on there. You get what I'm saying? So once you, he was in there, I wasn't, on no agency so you know it's who you know whatever whereas when you're on an agency you're in you get what I'm saying and so um, we used to go around with Nigel and stuff and it just made me want it more man and I was just really I was really like years and years and years just trying to get into that not just on the outside be on you know what I mean the, with the Fabios and the Groove Riders and the Carl Coxes and stuff and it it just didn't happen for a long time and then um I think it was when I started V that things kind of like started upping for me. You know what I'm saying? People kind of saw me for what I was doing then and the spotlight was more on me and so I kind of got that recognition and, and things, you know what I mean? And then I started to do a radio show on Cool FM 
and Sunday nights I was on this, there, this thing called Super Sunday on Cool FM and it was like Brocky, um, Nicky Black Market, Mampy Swift. So it was a like a real good Sunday and I, I joined that sort of lineup and so um, you know, everybody would be like, you are and that time Ronnie Size, Die Cross, they were on fire and they were just making the the, the f- sickest tunes and so I was getting them straight away and playing them on the radio everybody ah. so you know what I'm saying everybody like, fucking branch you got these tunes and so that helped me kind of elevate to you know what I mean and open the doors for me but it wasn't easy and so when I see some DJs like they, they're here for two minutes and they expect to get expect to be like up there straight away and they think you know and, and they don't realize that you got to work for it sometimes and it you, you know it doesn't just come to you or whatever but they expect a lot of them expect it now straight away they want to they expect that I, big that's you know? modern life isn't it i think yeah, everything, everything is instant instant instant, instant, instant. Quick. everybody like, looks yeah. around and they think oh well you've got it you can do it and they you whatever and you were in the social media age where you know what i mean a dj sees a dj now and he's in front of ten thousand people like god with his hands in the air and they think that's that, you know what i mean and that's just, it doesn't it's not always you know you got to work towards that mm. so work. Who, who were your favorite djs at the people that you really looked up to or the ones that you wouldn't want to follow in a set <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to go after this dj i've always um respected um bookham has always been a dj that i've always like always respected of course fabian groove rider um, not like with Fabian Crew, it wasn't like I was scared because I was to play with them all the time. So uh, I'd come after them and they'd come after me. And I had my own tune. So I was always never afraid to play with anybody because I always back myself as the better. You know what I mean? As far as I'm concerned, I'm better than everybody. So, <laughs> yeah, you got to. It's a good way to you, be. Yeah, I'm better. I just haven't got that. Just, just give me that platform and I'll show you. And what about your view on MCs and, and their prevalence in drum and bass and jungle? Because that's a re- not a relatively new thing, but it became, it became you know, often they became bigger than the DJs in a way in, in, in jungle they, and drum and bass. I'd like to think that. Ah. <laughs> there was a period there wasn't there where you'd have those D&B raves where you'd have like twin, five, ten DJs but 20 yeah. MCs and, and it was back like to you back know, and I love oh. MCs you get them saying and like you know, you know MCs are people that are, you know, are so important to the scene and everything and where we're going and all that but I've never ever felt that the MC has been, is more important than the DJ because you know as a DJ, I've played at many, 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 many parties without MCs. You get what I'm saying? And they go off. I'm not saying we don't need them, but certain places, certain countries I go to, they don't even have MCs. They can't even understand most of the time what the MCs are saying, and they just get on with it. I mean, I've been to Japan and places like that, and MCs are just not even thought about. And so the rave can carry on without MCs. But at the same time, I, I know the value of a good, of good MCs. I know what they can bring. And sometimes I'm in a club without an MC and I'm saying, oh, I wish there was a bloody MC in here because sometimes people... Sometimes need, people need a bit they of a... need that sort of, come on, come on, let's go. Let's, like, you get what I'm saying? A and kick up the arse, yeah, basically. Yeah, they need that stuff. So, and a good MC can just make the party. I mean, I love working with Darison. I love working with MC Dynamite. You know, these guys, they know how to just vibe up a crowd. And, you know, some, if I work with a great MC, it just enhances the night to a level because 
that's what the uh, good MCs do. Would you say that you're at all a raver, or were you always just a DJ who would go to I'm, raves I'm, on no, that no, basis? I'm, I'm that guy that used to always see in the middle of the crowd, just dancing and getting on with everybody. So, and... what were the what were the best raves for you during the '90s? What were your favourites? Um, well, this place in Essex that I used to go. Canvey Island. Canvey Island, oh, okay, yeah. Canvey Island, that used to be good. We used to go to raves in Canvey Island and um, Leicester was a good place to do raves. And uh, just like, I remember one rave, um, Castle Morton, up in um, went on for days and like, you know, man's getting hungry and like, cooked one of the farmer's cows or something like that. So that, that, was, that was like, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> that, was, that was crazy. Was that, it tasty? I didn't eat it. Oh, I didn't you didn't eat it. it. <laughs> I, mean, but I saw the, the um, yeah, the car getting cooked. So, um, and which raves did you just never enjoy, and why? The hardcore raves. I just thought that music was banging. Just like you know, um, I don't know the names of them, but the hardcore ones. You get what I'm saying? You know, I used to hate hardcore music back in the day. You man. didn't like the whole what the whole it kick drum, too, bang, 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 and happy. But it's the opposite. It's the opposite, really, isn't it? Of the sort of music you produce, which is more soulful yeah. and that sort of thing. So I can guess. I, I can I can understand why you didn't. Yeah, like it that just. Sort of yeah, music. I mean, I just didn't didn't. Um, yeah, and we've had a question from one of our listeners, uh, Craig Farrow. He asks, which tracks from the 90s that you would play got the biggest reactions? I mean, all the v, early V stuff were massive tunes. You get what I'm saying, you know? You know, um, Trust Me. Bonanza Kid. Warhead. Special treat. You know, it's jazzy. Lily. You know, angles. He's just naming the entire back catalogue of being recorded. No, but you said there were a few that are like, you know, they're all big tunes, man. Well, was there ever a tune that you could have released and didn't and that you ended up regretting it because it came massive? No, but there's an artist that I could have signed and I didn't, and he's got massive, which I regret. Calibre. Right. Yeah, I mean, um, we had lots of demos that used to come to the office and stuff, you get what I'm saying? And um, I'm going to put this one on to Frosty, right? Because when I eventually found a CD when Calibre was big, I found a demo CD in the office from Calibre to Frost. Ah. Right? So I was kind of like, what? We could have had Calibre. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> so, um, but you know what? I look at it as like, you know, we've had some great artists and everything I always look at is, was meant to be. We would love to continue bringing you quality content, but with better and more up-to-date equipment. If you could chuck some pennies in our direction and help secure the future of this fantastic project, that would be awesome. Our GoFundMe page is gofundme.com forward slash the 90s rave podcast. Now we're going to give some massive big ups to some generous, generous, generous folk. They are Halcyon and Jay Ransom. Mark Simmons, a.k.a. Hovis Buns. 
Ruben Wurlich, Mel Casey, Tom Evans, Tom Lloyd, Arthur Roski and Ica Green. Thank you very much from all of us at Raw. So you're listening to Raw, the 90s Raid podcast with me, Tom Latcham and Chrissy Richards here with uh, V-Recordings legend Brian G. We uh, often like to give a little fun quiz on uh, our subject's favourite topic. And what is your favourite topic, Brian? Chelsea, Chelsea. Uh, of course it is. Chelsea, Chelsea. Uh, so we've We're put together ten questions. You can stop singing that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've put together ten questions about Chelsea. I don't think they're too difficult. I think you might do all right. Um, but do you want to go first, Chrissy? Kick yeah, us off? sure. Why not? So question number one. What position did Chelsea finish in the first Premier League season? God, no idea. But I mean, was, come on, there was I, shit. I put it you couldn't guess at this. Put it this way, right? We had probably, um, those are the days where Cundy and all that. Like, was actually yeah. right, didn't it? So, <laughs> you were rubbish. So this, I'll, yeah, I'll, give you a, yeah. I'll give you a clue. We you were weren't great. And we knew we were. <laughs> right? So we were probably... Right, I'll give you a point for if you're, uh, if you're either side of it I'd as well. I'd say about 10, 11... Yeah, so we give him that. Got it. Yeah, well yeah, done, mate. That's what we were, we're a mid-table team. Uh, what year, this question to what year of the 90s did Chelsea win the FA Cup? Oh, that's the time with, um, was that the time with, um, and, and Dennis, Wise, Dennis Wise brought his baby out for the first time. And, yeah, was it Viali was yeah, playing yeah, as well? And um, Hullet, was it Hullet was the manager? I thought so. 96? Close. Very close. 97. We'll give you a half a point for All that. Right. All right. We'll give you a half a point for that. All right. Question number three. Who became the first player to score four goals in a Premier League game? Oh, I'm going to take a punt and just say Asselbank. <laughs> it was Viali. Gianluca Viali. Gianluca. Yes. Uh, number four, question four. How many league games did Chelsea win in 2016-17, which was a new record? Ish. I'll give you, you can, I'll give two, if you can be two either side, I'll give you a point. What year was this? 2016, 2017. Mourinho, 34. Ah, uh, not quite right. 30. 30. 30, okay. 30 so I'm not going to give you a point for that. But that was a, to be fair, that was a tough one. Yeah. Question number five. I'm not doing good, am I? Come on. <laughs> to be fair, these, are, these aren't that easy. <laughs> Question number five. Carlo Ancelotti's team, is that her name right? Yeah. yeah. Carlo Ancelotti's team set a league goal scoring record in 09 10. Uh, how many did they score? And we'll give you to the five. Your point to our five, well, either way. Um, it wasn't more than 100. Come on, give me a clue. It's a lot. <laughs> Come on. Okay, I'll give you a clue. Less than 500. <laughs> <laughs> Does that help? And it's more than 50. There you go. Whoa. It's a lot. 120. Oh, not quite that many. 103. 103 <laughs> goals. That must have been a good season to watch Chelsea, mustn't it? It was. I mean, Ashley Cole was banging in goals, so. Question number six. What year did John Terry make his debut? Well, yeah, that was 98, isn't it? Bing, there you go. You oh, got that no, one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, question seven. From which club did Chelsea sign Didier Drogba? Marseille. Marseille, you're right. Ding. There you go. Question number eight. Jose Mourinho aside, who has the highest win percentage as Chelsea manager in the Premier League? This is insane, by the way. I'd say if it's not Ancelotti, it's... it's um, Flipping now. Was it? What's that? What's that? Israeli guy. What's his name? That's um, it. Avram Grant. That's Yay! it. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Right. I Avram mean, what a, how weird is that? that yeah, he's he's got it? such a. We high... was just. We was just one John Terry slip away from him doing something crazy. 
nine. Who are the three managers to win European competitions with Chelsea? Di Matteo. Bing. Right? That's the big boy, right? Yeah. The last season, what's his name? We just got sucked the other day. Scalari, not Scalari. It's, um, I know you're talking about. Um, old cigarette, old fagas. We'll we know you're talking <laughs> about. Fucking... Mar- Maurizio, sorry, sorry, yeah. sorry. And then one more. Liverpool scum. Yeah, it, you might be onto something there. <laughs> the fat waiter. The fat waiter indeed. Rafa Benitez. You got that one. You got all three. And actually, to be honest, I'm going to give you a bonus point because you got all three. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Brian. So are you... you are neck and neck, by the way, with lunacy Ooh, uh, on so five and a half points. It all hinges so... on this last wow. question. Come on, make it easy. All right, are you ready? Who managed Chelsea for just one game in 2009? Ray Wilkins. Yay! That's it. You did it. Yeah, you did it. And yeah, a man yeah. who I've worked with on TalkSport yeah, uh, in my time. A Ray fantastic man. bloke. I, I, yeah. Honestly, devastated when he Ray, died. Yeah. He, is such, he was such such a great guy. So, so far of our mastermind so challenges, the winner. Winner. you're the winner. 6.5 out yeah. of 10. <laughs> Just about. Well, with a bit of help. That's what we do at You are listening to the 90s Rave podcast, Raw, here with Tom Latcham and Chrissy Richards. We are with Brian G. He's the V Recordings legend. Yeah, and yeah, unfortunately, yeah. Uh, we're running out of time. So I want to ask, or well, we want to ask him uh, a, a few questions just to sort of wrap it all up. Uh, how do you, Brian, maintain your enthusiasm? You're famous for your smile. You're famous for being so positive. How do you maintain that enthusiasm for your job? 40 years on from when you started, but almost 30 years on from when you started V Recordings. Because um, the music is just all about the music and having good people around me. And I've been fortunate since I've started the label, you know, um, having great artists like Ronnie, Die, Cross, Sub, all right through to, you know, finding DJ Marky and Petit and all these guys in Brazil. And now at, at the present time, I've got some great artists around me and waking up every day, first thing you see in your inbox is a badass tune. You get what I'm saying? It's just like, you know, you just feel great because you, you are just all the artists are just on top of their game and they're all coming with the wickedest tunes and stuff. And as a music man, as a DJ, you're just in the element. You get what I'm saying? Because A, I'm still a DJ and you get what I'm saying? So I'm just getting all these great tunes to DJ with. I'm getting all these great tunes to release on the label. And... The guys that are just making music with fun in their heart, you get what I'm saying? And and I'm just I'm just like I get inspired off these young guys. They give me energy, you get what I'm saying? You know, in the morning I wake up and Brian, listen to this, Brian, listen to this, listen to this idea, listen to this. And what do you think of this? What shall I do? And so this is you know, it just keeps me on my toes because the music just keeps coming and it's good. So whether they always ask me for my input or whatever, and I try to help, what, what you know, give my my, I try to be always honest with them. You get what I'm saying, and that's I think that's what they like with me. You get what I'm saying. I tell them if it's shit. I want yeah. I tell them it's rubbish, <laughs> and you know. I hope I, you, sh- I, I hope you I slightly sugarcoat it. No, no, <laughs> no, not no, at all. No, you got to be honest. You get what I'm saying. You got to I mean, be you honest. Can be honest without saying something. Shit. You got to be honest and let them know. You get what I'm saying because these guys have raised the bar. They've raised the standard, and I'm not going to let them drop. Even I don't care how big their name is now, whatever. I'm not going to let their standard drop because they got a big name or whatever. So, 
I'll, yeah, I always like let them know if I'm not in it, and they know because if they send me a tune and they don't get a reply in five minutes, then <laughs> <laughs> it. And so, what in your view is the future for for drum and bass? The future, well, we can get back in the clubs again, hopefully oh, yeah. very soon. Um, definitely get back in the clubs and um, just just the music to keep evolving and growing. You get what I'm saying? You know, it's, you know, drum and bass is a it's a it's it's a it's great it's great music and um the the people around it and the people that make it were great people you get what I'm saying and we've been doing this for so long now you get what I'm saying and it's like a second family now you get what I'm saying we go to these places like Sun and Bass and every year now it's like a spiritual place where you can see all the DJs and all the MCs and usually when you go out and you see DJs or and MCs and artists they're all in the VIP and and then the, the punters are here and the, and the, you know what I mean but this festival goes on for like 10 days and you'll be right next to Groove Rider or you're right next to Randall or everybody is just mixing and you you go into town and you're in a restaurant next to D Bridge or just there's no so it just brings everybody like a, and it feels like a second family you get what I'm saying and, and it's the only festival I go and I see DJs and artists bring their kids, their ch- little children, their dads, and their mums. <laughs> <laughs> like, you, you tr- serious, and, and you think, boy, I need to get up because you can just like do the family thing with them, and in the evening, do the crazy thing. You get what I'm saying? Mm. And I've never seen DJs come with their mums and dads to festivals. <laughs> that's how cool this festival is. So, Kay. um, maybe that's not answering your question, right? But, um, <laughs> Looking back now on on the 90s rave scene, because we are the 90s rave podcast, Mm -hmm. what are your feelings about it in, you know, 20 20 years on from it finishing? We made something beautiful. We made something that is kind of like, who would believe that, you know, those nights, those those nights running around the country and going places like Eclipse, Coventry and and all these little places and look at the world, look where the music's took it, look where it's gone now. It's kind of like, it's, all over the world now and you see the status of some of the DJs and the places we're playing in and all that now and see where it's going now and it's phenomenal I mean especially since the festival sort of thing is tucking in you get what I'm saying because we've always had the big festivals like your 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 Fantasias and the whatever but it seemed to have taken a new like thing now over the last few years with the festivals and it's grown and all over the world now you get what I'm saying and this music is everywhere now and so it's 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 frightening to see how far it can go you get what I'm saying you know because back then I never thought it could like get further than a farmer's field you get what I'm saying <laughs> and here we are now all over the world doing mad festivals and big arenas and stuff so if yeah. you could pick just one year only from the 90s which would you pick as your favourite? Just one. I'd say, um, wow, because it's hard, because they've all been great years, isn't it? They've all been great years. <laughs> and the music years. changed so much in that yeah, time as well. I but. mean, you know, you're talking like during the 90s, it evolved to um, hardcore, jungle, whatever, and they've all, different eras of it, have all been sick, you get what I'm saying? But um, I have to say my f- the early days when because it was so new you get what I'm saying so just seeing it grow just looking back now and seeing the beginning of it for me 
I've got to say those those days because that's where it all started from. And very finally, uh, we ask every artist this that we have on the podcast, who would you like to hear interviewed from the 90s rave scene on our podcast and why? Um, I'd like to hear Dave Angel's story because he's a good good person, Carl Cox. I'd like to hear Bookham. Um, everybody says Bookham. Everybody book says Bookham. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to hear Bookham. Um, I'm sure he's because he's been all everywhere. You're gonna have to help us get Bookham, right? Yeah, You're he's in Russia now, isn't he? he? Lives in we'll Russia. We'll do it now. on Zoom. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah. Um, well, it sounds like we're going to be flying to Russia we'll for Russia. raves well, I mean, anyway, right? So yeah. yeah. Although to be fair, I'd fly yeah, to Russia for Bookham. Bookham would be very interesting because um, his influence as well. You know, I mean, I don't think there's anybody in drum and bass, uh, probably Dillinger, that you hear when you hear people talk ravers or whatever that they've been influenced as. A, to as a well, Fabian Groove writer, definitely, you know what I mean. But Bookham, so many producers and ravers just are influenced by LTJ Bookham because he stood out with it and he stayed true to that sound. You get what I'm saying? And mm. he built a army through that logical progression thing. You get what I'm saying? That were just so loyal to his sound, and it was such a special niche kind of thing. You get what I'm saying? That he, he, he managed to pull away from everyone else and continue to do his thing. There was a period in time where you could only book, have Bookham by himself. He would not play with anyone else because he, he, just wanted, he just wanted that experience to be about his vibe all night. You get what I'm saying? So you would have your PFMs and your Blames or whatever. You get what I'm saying? But they were all into that. You would never see Bookham like with me or with Jack Frost or whatever he would have to be in his logical, good-looking place, you get what I'm saying, with mm. all his sound all night. And, you know, he pulled numbers like crazy, you know, and he still pulls his numbers now, like, he's a legend. Book him in it. That's Brian G. I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, spending the last few hours with you talking about your memories. I'm sure Chrissy feels yeah, the same. Yeah, absolutely, amazing. definitely. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for your time. Um, if anyone wants to get in touch with a comment uh, about Brian, uh, you can get do so. Hello at the nightisraypodcast.co.uk. You can also get in touch about anything at all, frankly. We're also on all of your social medias. That was the life of Brian. And I also can't take credit for that because Brian told me to say it in the car up it. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Thank you. Cheers, Brian. You've been listening to Raw's exclusive interview with the man who put Bristol DB on the map, Brian G. We hope you enjoyed his lively commentary and interesting stories. You will most certainly not want to miss our next guest. They were undoubtedly one of the biggest partnerships in hardcore and indeed the scene's favourite Essex boys. They work in harmony, their music was simply electric and they both have a heart of gold. If you've not guessed by now, yes, it is Awesome Styles. If you have enjoyed listening to this episode, why not head over to gofundme.com forward slash the 90s Rave podcast and help keep this project going. Anything you can spare will make a difference and you might even be able to bag yourself some signed artwork of our guests. Don't forget to add us on Facebook, Twitter and Insta. Just search for the 90s Rave Podcast. Goodbye.